If you live in the desert, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? You go look for water. We live in a dry and dusty land, a world contaminated with sin, a fallen world. And so we need to go to the source of living water early in the morning. This is season 11 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brent Walker, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional, no-apologies exposition of God's grace from an Orthodox Wesleyan point of view. God's Holy Word is essential to our teaching, so let's get into God's Word right now. And I would invite you to take out your Bibles, either the ones that you brought with you or the ones in the pews, and turn in them with me to the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 29. Mark 1 and 29 through 39 will be our reading today. We're continuing our series called Following Christ. We've been looking at what it means to follow Christ, to live after his example, and to live as he calls us to live. We've seen how the first disciples answered immediately when he called them. We've seen how Jesus gives us a new identity in him, and we've seen how Jesus teaches with authority because he is the author of our faith and the very word of God made flesh. This week we are looking at how Jesus prayed and we are learning from his example how we too can pray like Christ. Let us hear the word of the Lord for us today, Mark chapter 1 and beginning of verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still dark, still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring town, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, then your prayer life is, at best, difficult to maintain. At worst, it is completely absent from your walk with Christ. Like many, I have struggled with prayer. I bought many books on how to pray. I think my favorite is called How to Pray. It's the best of John Wesley on prayer. It's a really nice little book. It's a short book, about 90 pages long. And you can read each page, uh, each page devotionally one day at a time. 
It's a nice book, and it has a lot of insight on what John Wesley thought about prayer. John Wesley once said that he had so much to do in a day that he could not possibly accomplish it all without first spending several hours in prayer. Imagine that. Imagine having so much on your calendar. I, can't, I don't know that any of us can relate to that at all, right? That we're so busy that we don't have time to talk to God. That we don't have time to seek God's will for us. John Wesley said, if I'm going to accomplish everything that I'm doing today, I first have to spend hours on my knees, alone with God in prayer. As Christians, we strive to emulate Christ, and Christ gives us an example for prayer that we see today. And as we will see, it is important for us to pray early, to get alone with God, to make prayer a priority, and to pray before and after great spiritual victory. Above all else, prayer is how we learn of God's will for us by submitting to him in all things. Well, this is the part where I would say uh, previously in the Gospel of Mark, because we've been marching pretty well through it. We've read um, all of chapter 1 up to uh, verse 39, so, and really there's only uh, six verses left, which we would read next week if it weren't for Transfiguration Sunday. But... What we've seen so far is, number one, Jesus is first baptized. He was baptized in the Jordan in the area of Judea and Perea. Then he went out into the wilderness and was tempted. Then he began his ministry in Galilee. He called the first disciples in Bethsaida. And last week we saw how he healed a man with an unclean spirit in Capernaum. Now, today we're seeing him actually return to Bethsaida. Although the center of his ministry is really Capernaum, we know that Andrew and Simon live in Bethsaida. That is what we are told in the gospel according to John. And so verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So they're back in Bethsaida. Verse 30. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Now, we don't often think about the disciples as having families other than brothers, Andrew and Simon, John and James. But here we see that Simon Peter is married, and his mother-in-law lives with them, his wife's mother. Now, verse 32. Oh, 31, sorry. He came and took her by the hand, he being Jesus, and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, and she begins to serve them. This is a, a picture of our own salvation. It's a picture of our salvation. We're cleansed of the disease of sin. 
and immediately we minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what she was doing. Verse 32. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. There's a lot going on here. But what we see is Jesus ministering in this city. They're coming to him. They're coming to the home of Simon and Andrew. The people know there is something different about this preacher. They know that he has a healing ministry. He can perform miracles. What's interesting is, <clears throat> there's a couple of things here. Number one, the, the name of the city, Bethsaida, I didn't really go into this before. I talked about Capernaum means the village of Nahum. Nahum being the Old Testament prophet. Bethsaida, the word Beth, we always see the word Beth in a name of a city, and it means house. Beth. Saida means fisherman. It's a house of fishermen or a house of fishing. Bethsaida's primary business or um, vocation is fishermen. And the plain of Bethsaida, the plain of Bethsaida is the place where the feeding of the 5,000 will take place. And remember, um, Matthew records for us it was 5,000 men besides women and children. It was a lot more than 5,000. Most biblical scholars estimate up to 20,000 or 25,000 people were at that. And so you have to understand that when you combine Capernaum and Bethsaida, you're talking about two large cities in population at this time. The fact that Jesus, it says, the whole city was gathered around the door. Now, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't everybody, but it may have seemed that way. It's just a, a, a euphemism, a way of saying there was a lot of people there. In fact, he also says he cured many who were sick with various diseases. And we are not to take that to mean that he cured many, but some he didn't cure. That's not what's implied here. What's in, in, in view here is the numbers. There were many people who got healed. He cast out many demons. Notice here, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. We have to understand that many diseases are, have a spiritual foundation, but not all. Some are physical. Some are purely physical. And here it makes a distinction. Some of these diseases were physical diseases, and some of them had to do with demonic possession. The whole city was gathered around the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Notice what he does. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I was thinking about this the other day because we talked about this, this unclean spirit that he cast out in Capernaum. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Be silent, be muzzled, right? And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Why did Jesus command this spirit or this unclean spirit to be silent, to be muzzled? 
Why would he not permit the demons to speak? Notice the demons, being the minions of Satan, they do the bidding, the bidding of Satan. They, they, do, they do the bidding of the devil. But they answer to God. God does not permit them all the time. Anything that they do, ultimately, is by permission from God. And we don't know why. Sometimes it's to instruct us. Sometimes it's to strengthen us. Sometimes it's to have us so desperate that we get on our knees and go to God. Maybe we haven't spoken to him a while. in a while. He says, I want to hear from you. And the demon afflicts us for a period. We go to God. Why is this happening? Why are you doing this to me? And God says, oh, hey, you do know my name. There you are. So he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. It is not the duty of the demons to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he will not permit them to do so. All right, I did say at the beginning of this message that we were going to talk about prayer, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. And these last uh, five verses are all about how to pray like Christ. How to pray like Christ. As followers of Christ, we want to know how does Jesus tell us to pray, number one. How did he pray, number two. What was his example for us? Remember, he's the good shepherd. And so as the good shepherd, he leads us from the front. He goes where he wants us to go, and we follow him. He leads by example. And so what can we learn from his example in these five little verses about his prayer? Number one, we learn that we are to seek God early. Seek God early. It says, verse 35, in the morning, while it was still very dark. <clears throat> Some biblical scholars estimate this time between three and six in the morning. It was still dark. The sun had not come up. It's the same Greek phrase that Mark later uses when he says, <clears throat> It was very early in the morning on the first day of the week when the women went to the tomb. Very early in the morning. The sun hadn't come up. It was still dark. Why? Because when we start our day seeking God's face, then the rest of the day tends to fall right into place. And I didn't mean that to rhyme, but it did. Maybe I've been reading too much Dr. Seuss. I don't know. But it's true. When we start our day with prayer, we're starting on the right foot. I know people, and I have at times, who roll out of bed and immediately fall to their knees and begin to pray. Lord, thank you for another day. Be with me today as I go about the business of my work. You know I have a hard job. But I know that if you are with me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
In Psalm 63 and verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. And that word earnestly can also be rendered early. Early I seek thee. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. If you live in a desert, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? You go look for water. We live in a dry and dusty land. A world contaminated with sin. A fallen world. And so we need to go to the source of living water early in the morning. Matthew 6 and verse 33 Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God knows what you need. God knows that you need to be clothed, to be fed, to be sheltered. He says, and the pagans worry about those things. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. He says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God will take care of you. So we seek God early in the morning while it was still dark. What? He got up and went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. He got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. So number two. Number one is seek God early. Number two, get alone. Get alone with God. There's a time to pray corporately. There's a time to get together with fellow Christians and pray. We can pray with each other. We can pray for each other. We can pray in a worship environment like here. We're praying together. But there is a time to be alone with God. Because nobody knows you like God knows you. And when you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God, it could be a very edifying time for you. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 and 6, Jesus says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, that is not Jesus saying, don't ever pray in public. There's a time to pray in public. But don't do it so that you are seen by other people. Oh, look how godly that person is. He's praying in public. And listen to how wonderfully he prays and how beautifully he prays. Prayer is a conversation between you and God, even if there are other people around. It's not a time to, to sermonize. Lord, I pray for all those people standing here or who are still in their sin that they would hear you. That's a sermon. That's not a prayer. Pray that in private, yes, but not in public. Lord, we feel your presence here in this place. We know that you are here with us. We pray for your spirit to be upon us. That's a prayer that we pray in public. But when we're alone with God, we pray to him, we pour out our hearts to him and say, Lord, I am in the depths of my despair and this is what I need. Why is Jesus praying alone with God? Well, it gives us a glimpse into the relationship of the triune God. Here is God the Son seeking audience with God the Father. 
submitting himself to him early in the morning, alone. Jesus says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Psalm 62. By the way, the Psalms are not just songs of praise, but they are wonderful prayers. And sometimes if you don't even know what to pray, just open up the Psalms and just start reading them out loud as a prayer to God. And you will find hmm, your soul all of a sudden says, hey, we need to pray about this. And now all of a sudden you can set the Psalms aside and pray earnestly. It's funny how the Spirit works that way. Psalm 62, verses 5 and 6. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Get alone with God. Seek Him early in the morning. And now this, number three. Make prayer a priority. Let it be the first thing you do in the morning. Let it be the first thing you do before you do something, before you go anywhere, before you get in the car. Those of us who drive in New Jersey on 295, if you have to go across the bridge into 95, the blue route, I know you're praying. (laughs) I've done it. But anytime we are going to face adversity, Go to God in prayer. Make prayer a priority. Speak often with your Lord. Speak often with God because the more we talk to him, the more we want to talk to him. So make prayer a priority. Don't just pray when things are bad. Pray when you're glad. Pray when you're rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray when we're glad. We pray when we're sad, when we're grieving. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So pray when you're glad. Pray when you're sad. Pray when you're sick, when you're sick and in need of healing. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed any sins, they will be forgiven him. So pray earnestly, in season, out of season. Make prayer a priority. And now this, pray after great spiritual victory. Pray after great spiritual victory. Listen, what had just happened in Bethsaida? 
That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Great spiritual victory. He needs to pray. He needs to pray. How does he know this? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Our battles are spiritual, and so we need to refresh our spirits in prayer. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. And so when we have a great spiritual victory, we, we pray, we pray. Elijah learned this the hard way. He had a great spiritual victory against the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. He prayed before the victory, but he didn't pray afterwards. And when Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, said, I'm going to kill you for what you did, he ran for his life. He lay down in the wilderness and he prayed to God to die. That's how depressed he was. Because spiritual victory takes a lot out of us. It takes a lot out of us. And so we need to be refilled by God's Spirit. So we pray after great spiritual victory. But we also pray before great ministry. Before great ministry. Verses 38 and 39. Jesus said, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. So he prayed before they went out. He prayed before great ministry. Look at verses uh, 12 and 13. Uh, the Spirit immediately drove him out of the, in the wilderness. This is after he was baptized. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts. And the angels waited on him. He fasted for 40 days. He did not perform one single miracle before he fasted and prayed in the wilderness. He got alone. He sought God early. He made prayer a priority. He fasted for 40 days before he went out and did a single miracle. So we pray before great ministry. Think about what I was just talking about with Elijah. Elijah calls out the prophets of Baal and says, I challenge you to a duel. Your God versus mine. Your God Baal versus Yahweh, the one true and living God. He says, build an altar. I'll give you one bull. I'll take another bull. There's 450 of you. You go first. <clears throat> he says, set your bull on the altar and then call on your God. 
and I'll call on my God, and whichever one answers with fire from heaven, that's the true God. So these prophets of Baal, they, they danced around this altar and they said, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. That's how they pray. Just over and over and over and over and over. And there's no answer. Elijah even started to mock them. He says, oh, surely he's a god. Maybe he's away on a trip. Maybe, you know, yell louder so maybe he can hear you. Maybe he's, and the Bible, I, I kid you not, the Bible says this. Maybe he's relieving himself. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Yell louder. So they used to, they would yell and, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, and they were cutting themselves and hurting themselves so that he would answer. And he did not answer. Why? Because he's not a real God. They made him up. At the evening oblation, Elijah the prophet came near. First of all, he did something very weird. We're in the middle of a drought, okay? Three and a half years into a drought in Israel. And he tells the people, after he puts the sacrifice on the altar that he built, he says, pour a bucket of water over it. And do it three more times. He dug a trench around it, and the water was laying in the trench. There was so much water, he soaked this altar with water. And at the time of the, even, of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. And fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What an amazing victory. But Elijah prayed before the victory. He didn't pray after. And it almost destroyed him. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22 and verse 40, Jesus said to Peter and James and John when they were alone in the garden, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He knew that they were in the depths of their despair. He told them to pray. And then he went off by himself and he prayed. So what have we seen so far? Get, you know, early in the morning, get up early, pray to God. Get alone with God. Make prayer a priority. Pray after great spiritual victory. Pray before great ministry. And now this. Pray to know God's will and submit yourself to God. Pray to know God's will and submit yourself to God. That sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? I should submit myself to God's will. I should pray to know God's will. Let me tell you something. I met God in 12-step programs, and I was absolutely astonished when I came to a church, and this wasn't taught. What do you mean we're not praying to seek God's will? We're literally told that in the 12 steps. Step 11 says, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. That's what we pray for. And there were some days when that's all I could pray for. God, tell me your will and give me the strength to do it. That's a powerful prayer. It's a scary prayer, but it's a powerful prayer. Show me your will and then give me the strength to do it. Tell me what you want me to do and then I'm going to go and you're going to give me the power. Luke chapter 22, Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. That's Jesus' will. That was the will of Jesus in the flesh. But not my will, but yours be done. Ultimately, that's how we pray. Not my will, Lord, yours be done. Your will, because we know God's will is good and perfect. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, we know this prayer that Jesus tells us to pray. We pray it every week. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy, your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done. We pray it every week. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus not only modeled prayer for us, he told us, he gave us a model prayer to pray. And if we pray that prayer and mean it earnestly, your will be done. It's a hard prayer to pray. I'm not kidding. God, tell me what your will is for me and give me the power to do it. That's a scary prayer, but I guarantee you it is an edifying prayer because God's will is done. In this reading today, we see the Lord's example on how to pray. And if we are to pray like Christ, we ought to seek God early in the day to get alone with God, to make prayer a priority, to pray before and after great spiritual victory, and above all else, pray to know God's will for you and to submit to it. Prayer is food for the believer's soul. It is the very air we breathe, the life that sustains us, the direct communication between us and the God of the universe who made us in his image to love us unconditionally. As he loves the Son, so also he loves us and answers us in prayer. And so I invite you to follow Christ, and to pray like Christ, and to speak often with your God. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you early on this Lord's Day to seek your face and to know your will for us as a church, as the body of Christ, and as individual followers of Christ. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and teach us to pray as Jesus prayed early each day, seeking time alone with you and putting prayer before all things, that you would strengthen us after spiritual victory and before great ministry. In all things, we seek to know your will and we submit ourselves to you, knowing that all things work together for good to those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. Speak to us now in the silence and through the sacrament as heaven is torn open and we meet you in this place. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope that this teaching has blessed you as much as it has blessed me putting this message together. God has also blessed me by calling me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pedricktown. If you live in the area and don't have a church to call your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings for Bible-based and God-honoring worship. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We also have Sunday school available and Bible study during the week. Now this podcast is self-funded and we never ask for donations. It reaches people all around the world, but it could reach more people if you do a couple of things and it won't cost you a penny. First, subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel. Leave a comment and also like the podcast. That puts the podcast in front of more people so that the gospel may reach them as well. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will listen to Guerrilla Christianity again. Until next time, remember this, Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ.